Hello and welcome to Teaching Those Who Learn with Lady Anne Beekler. I am Lady Anne Beekler and this is the first World Cultures podcast of the 2020 school year. I am excited to have this for my new sixth grade class and I hope you enjoy it. This week we're going to talk about the different types of maps, what maps are used for, and then we'll quickly go over the map vocabulary, those 15 words that we went over last week. So get comfortable, sit back, and enjoy the ride. Okay, so we're back and first we're going to talk about these questions. Why are there different types of maps? What maps would I need to know as a sixth grader? And then we'll talk about the definitions of those specific types of maps. The first thing is let's talk about why there are so many different types of maps. So humans use maps as a way to organize um, specific ideas or um, themes on a piece of paper, basically. And there are so many different things that humans want to be able to understand and to be able to visualize on a map that if they tried to put all of those things on one map, um, it would be pretty impossible to read all of the different themes, basically, or the different ideas. So if you were trying to put um, trees and mountains and rivers and lakes and elevations and population and natural resources and borders and latitude and longitude and climate and, um, uh, I don't know, anything else that you would definitely put on like a special um, themes map, like political proclivity of a place, um, all of those things would become so overwhelming on one map that they've come up with a bunch of different maps to be able to have those things represented. So basically, the reason that people have different types of maps is because each map represents a specific idea that people are trying to track and organize when they're looking at the world. The four types of maps that you need to know in sixth grade are physical maps, political maps, topographical maps, and then we'll talk about special theme maps. And in the category of special theme maps, we'll also look at some specific special themes so you guys will get a better understanding of what the term special theme maps mean. So sit back, again, put those feet up, put those earbuds in, and listen and learn. Okay, I changed my mind. Put your feet down and pay attention. Let's talk about the different types of maps that you guys need to know. So sit up straight. The first type of map that we talked about is a physical map. Physical maps are maps that show all of the landforms and bodies of water on the earth or the part of the earth that the map is looking at. So if it's looking at Texas, it's going to show the physical features of Texas. If it's showing New England, it's going to show the physical features of New England. So when we're talking about physical features, last week you guys did definitions of landforms and bodies of water. We're talking about things like oceans, seas, rivers, straits, canals. Um, We're talking about lakes and ponds and creeks. 
Um, we're talking about with landforms, mountains, and valleys, and hills, and deserts, and forests, and um, I don't know, plateaus, and mesas, and foothills, and beaches, and things like that. So a physical map it shows the physical features. And of course, it will have the names of those physical features on the map, and it will have a legend. Then the legend will have little um, icons on it, which will show you what they symbolize um, on the map. So you can have, you know, maybe triangles that show that they're mountains, or, um, you know, little lines that show that they're rivers or whatever. Um, But anyway, physical maps, physical features. Those physical features are going to be landforms and bodies of water. It will not necessarily be differentiated um, into like countries and things like that. It will just look at, the map will just look at those physical features and bodies of water. So let's move on to the next type of map. The next type of map that we talked about in class is a political map. Now, political maps are maps that we use to show all of the man-made boundaries on the world. Remember, the lines that we have that separate countries and states and cities and towns and even continents, those lines are imaginary lines. God did not draw them. They do not exist on the earth. Also, those boundary lines can move when wars happen or when people take over certain territories and they take over land, they can reestablish where those boundaries are. So political maps are often changing. And if you were to look at a map of Eastern Europe, say, in um, 1985, it would look very different than a map in 1995. So just in those 10 years, you would see a big difference in those political boundaries, those lines would have changed because of the end of the Cold War and the breakdown of the USSR, which is the old United Soviet Socialist Republic, which now has turned into Russia and then a bunch of other smaller countries that used to be part of the giant country that broke up after the end of the Cold War. So political maps are maps that show the imaginary boundaries and borders between countries, states, cities, towns, continents. They also include latitude and longitude lines, which we use to be able to give us absolute location of a specific location on earth. And those locations would definitely be used in a political map. Remember that these lines are imaginary. If you are flying over the earth and you look down, you will not see these lines drawn on the earth. So those are the first two types of maps that you need to know. And those are the two maps that we went over on the first day of going over map notes. Tomorrow, um, I will continue doing this podcast. And the next part of the podcast, we will talk about topographical maps. And we will talk about special theme maps. But right now is time for a word from our sponsor. This week's broadcast is brought to you by ducks. Would you like to buy a duck? Of course they quack. Ducks, buy one today. Okay, 
Okay, friends, so we're back from that wonderful advertisement about buying ducks. Yes, they do quack. And we're going to talk about topographical maps. So today we talked about those in class. And um, topographical maps are maps that actually show elevation of the earth on the maps. And the thing that we think is pretty interesting about topographical maps is that they are two-dimensional. Two dimensions have length and they have width, but they don't have height. And that's what makes topographical maps kind of interesting because they do show height or elevation. The way that they show elevation is by using concentric circles, and concentric circles means circles within circles. And the bigger the circle, that means the lower the ground or the lower the elevation, the smaller the circle, the higher the elevation. So when you're looking at um, areas on maps, if you have a bigger circle area, that is going to uh, mean that it is closer to sea level. And then as the circles inside that large circle get smaller, it shows you that they, the elevation is getting higher and higher. So again, topographical maps are maps that show elevation of land in a location in comparison to sea level. The way they do that is by using circles and circles that are bigger are lower elevation. The smaller the circle, the higher the elevation. part of our podcast today is talking about special theme maps. Special theme maps are maps that look at a specific location and they look at a specific idea. The specific idea that is shown on a map is used to either measure that specific idea or compare that specific idea to other locations. And the reason that those maps are created um, in looking at those specific ideas of a location um, is to look at movement and adaptation. So let me give you an example. If the special theme map of a location is population and you are measuring the population of a location, the reason you would be looking at that is to adapt the location to create the ability to either create more schools, more houses, more roads, to allow the people or the population in that location to move easily and to adapt that location to their needs by building more roads, more schools, more hospitals, more homes. So when you're looking at a special theme map of a location, it's always looking at how you're going to adapt that location and a lot of it has to do with movement. So again, special theme maps are maps that look at a specific idea and they measure or compare a location on the earth by looking at that specific idea. Any map that is not a political map, that is not a topographical map, or that's not a physical map would be considered a special theme map. So if you're looking at um, a map that shows where all of the HEBs in the Austin area are, that would be a special theme. And the reason that you would look at that would be for movement to find out where you want to move um, all of the goods that would be going, you know, where trucks would be bringing the, um, the groceries to the stores. Or if HEB was trying to figure out how they could um, 
build more grocery stores in areas that didn't have enough grocery stores, which would be movement and adaptation, or if people were trying to decide what area they wanted to move in Austin and they were looking at specific um, areas that had the amenities that they wanted and specifically people want to live close to grocery stores. Um, other types of special theme maps would be, let's see, we've talked about population, we talked about um, uh, where the HEVs are. Um, you could look at specific ones that are natural resources. So if you're looking at a map that um, looks at and measures in a specific location the number of um, natural resources, the different kinds of natural resources and where they're located, then that would be, again, for movement and adaptation, uh, knowing that you want to go take those natural resources or preserve those natural resources and how you would move them um, from where they are naturally in order to be able to get people in that area to benefit from those natural resources. So again, let's drill it down to the most basic information. A special theme map looks at a specific idea of a location when looking at movement and adaptation in a location um, regarding that idea. Any map that is not a topographical map physical map or political map would be considered a special theme map. Wrapping everything all up, you need to know four types of maps this year. The first type of map is a physical map. Physical maps show landforms and bodies of water. The second type of map is political map. Political maps show boundaries. Those are imaginary lines that separate countries, cities, states, um, continents, regions. Um, they are imaginary lines that humans make to delineate where um, where countries, cities, states, etc. are. Also, they include imaginary lines like latitude and longitude. Those are um, so we can figure out where locations are on the earth, whether we're using absolute location or whether we're using relative location. The topographical map we talked about looks at the elevation of land in relation to sea level by using concentric circles, where the smaller the circle, the higher the elevation, the larger the circle, the lower the elevation. And then finally, special theme maps are any other map that does not fall under the political, physical, or topographical map section. So this is what y'all need to know for your quiz on Friday. I am sure you're going to do an excellent job. You've done a phenomenal job in class this week so far, and it's only Tuesday. So um, listen up and study your Cornell notes. Remember the best way to study on a Cornell note format is to answer the questions on each page. Do four one night, do four the next night, and then the third night, do all of them. You only want to focus on the restudying the ones that you do not know. You don't study things that you already know. That's a waste of time. So when you go through the first time, you look at the ones that you already know the answers to, and you kind of put those on the back burner and focus on the questions that you need to um, make sure that you get all the information on, and uh, then you'll be ready. So just like preparing for a game you always scrimmage before a game before a quiz or a test you always want to do exactly what you would be doing during the quiz and test which is answering questions not reading notes
And now I'm starting to ramble, so I'm going to get off my podcast. This is Lady Anne Beekler, and this is Teaching Those Who Learn with Lady Anne Beekler, and I will see you in school. Yay! Hello, everybody, and welcome to Teaching Those Who Learn with Lady Anne Beekler. I am Lady Anne Beekler, and today's episode is a recording of The Lottery, written by Shirley Jackson in 1948. The morning of June 27th was clear and sunny with the fresh warmth of a full summer day. The flowers were blossoming profusely and the grass was richly green. The people of the village began to gather in the square between the post office and the bank around 10 o'clock. In some towns, there were so many people in the lottery that it took two days and it had to be started on June 2nd. But in this village, where there were only about 300 people, the whole lottery took less than two hours, so it could begin at 10 o'clock in the morning and still be through in time to allow the villagers to get home for noon dinner. The children assembled first, of course. School was recently over for the summer, and the feeling of liberty sat uneasily on most of them. They tended to gather together quietly for a while before they broke into boisterous play, and their talk was still of the classroom and the teachers of books and reprimands. Bobby Martin had already stuffed his pockets full of stones, and the other boys soon followed his example, selecting the smoothest and the roundest stones. Bobby and Harry Jones, Richie Delacroix, the villagers pronounced the name Delacroix. Eventually, the great pile of stones at one corner of the square was guarded against its raids by other boys. The girls stood aside talking amongst themselves, looking over their shoulders at rolls in the dust or clung to the hands of the others and their older brothers or sisters. Soon the men began to gather, surveying their own children, speaking of planting and rain, tractors and taxes. They stood together away from the pile of stones in the corner and their jokes were quiet and they smiled rather than laughed. The women, wearing faded house dresses and sweaters, came shortly after their menfolk. They greeted one another and exchanged bits of gossip as they went to join their husbands. Soon the women, standing by their husbands, began to call their children, and their children came reluctantly, having to be called four or five times. Bobby Martin ducked under his mother's grasping hand and ran laughing back to the pile of stones. His father spoke up sharply, and Bobby came quickly and took his place between his father and his oldest brother. The lottery was conducted, as were the square dances, the teen club, the Halloween program, by Mr. Summers, who had the time and the energy to devote to civic activities. He was a round-faced, jovial man, and he had ran the coal business, and people were sorry for him because he had no children and his wife was a scold. When he arrived in the square, he was carrying a black wooden box. There was a murmur of conversation among the villagers, and he waved and called, "'A little late today, folks!' Postmaster Mr. Graves followed him, carrying a three-legged stool, and the stool was put in the center of the square, and Mr. Summers set the black box down on it. The villagers kept their distance, leaving a space between themselves and the stool, and when Mr. Summers said, "'Some of you fellows want to give me a hand?' there was a hesitation before two men, Mr. Martin and his oldest son Baxter, came forward to hold the box steady on the stool while Mr. Summers stirred up the papers inside it. The original paraphernalia for the lottery had been lost long ago, and the black box was now resting on the stool, and it had been put to use even before old man Warner, the oldest man in town, was born. 
Mr. Summers spoke frequently of the villagers about making a new box, but no one liked to upset it, even as much tradition as represented by the black box. There was a story that the present black box had been made of some pieces of the black box that preceded it, and that the one that had been constructed when the first people settled down to make the village here. Every year after the lottery, Mr. Summers began talking again about a new box, but every year the subject was allowed to fade off without anything being done. The black box grew shabbier each year. By now it was no longer completely black, but splintered badly along one side to show the original wood color, and in some places it was faded or stained. Mr. Martin and his oldest son, Baxter, held the black box securely on the stool until Mr. Summers had stirred the papers thoroughly with his hand. Because so much of the ritual had been forgotten or discarded, Mr. Summers had been successful in having slips of paper substituted for the chips of wood that had been used for generations. Chips of wood, Mr. Summers had argued, had all been very well and good when the village was tiny. But now that the population was more than 300 and likely to keep on growing, it was necessary to use something that would fit more easily into the black box. The night before the lottery, Mr. Summers and Mr. Grave made up slips of paper and put them in the box. And it was then taken from the safe of Mr. Summers' coal company and locked up until Mr. Summers was ready to take it into the square the next morning. The rest of the year, the box was put away. Sometimes one place, sometimes another. It had spent one year in Mr. Graves' barn, and another year underfoot in the post office, and sometimes it was set on the shelf in the Martin's grocery store and left there. There was a great deal of fussing to be done before Mr. Summers declared the lottery open. There were lists to make up, of heads of families, heads of households in each family, members of each household in each family. There was a proper swearing-in of Mr. Summers by the postmaster, as official of the lottery, at one time, people remembered, there had once been a recital of some sort performed by the official of the lottery, a perfunctory, tuneless chant that had been rattled off duly each year. Some people believed that the official of the lottery used to say it just so when he said it or sang it. Others believed that he was supposed to walk amongst the people. But years and years ago, this part of the ritual had been allowed to lapse. There had also been a ritual salute, which the official of the lottery had to use in addressing each person who came up to draw from the box. But this also had changed with time until now it felt necessary for the official to only speak as each person was approaching. Mr. Summers was very good at this. In his clean white shirt and his blue jeans, with one hand resting carelessly on the black box, he seemed very proper and important as he talked interminably to Mr. Graves and the Martins. Just as Mr. Summers finally left off talking and turned to the assembled visitors, Mrs. Hutchinson hurried along the path to the square, her sweaters thrown over her shoulders, and she slid into place in the back of the crowd. Colleen forgot what day it was, she said to Mrs. Delacroix, who stood next to her, and they both laughed softly. Thought my old man was out back stacking woods. Mrs. Hutchinson went on, and then I looked out the window, and the kids were gone, and then I remembered it was the 27th, and I came a-running. She dried her hands on her apron, and Mrs. Delacroix said, You're in time, though. They're still talking away up there. Mrs. Hutchinson craned her neck to see through the crowd, and found her husband and children standing near the front. 
She tapped Mrs. Delacroix on the arm as a farewell and began to make her way through the crowd. The people separated good-humoredly to let her come through. Two or three people said in voices just loud enough to be heard across the crowd, "'Here comes your Mrs. Hutchinson,' and, "'Bill, she made it after all.' Mrs. Hutchinson reached her husband, and Mr. Summers, who had been waiting, said cheerfully, "'We thought we were going to have to get on without you, Tessie.' Mrs. Hutchinson said, grinning, "'Wouldn't have me leave my dishes in the sink now, would you, Joe?' Soft laughter ran through the crowd as people began to stir back in position after Mrs. Hutchinson's arrival. "'Well, now,' Mr. Summers said soberly, "'I guess we better get started and get this over with "'so y'all can go back to work. "'Anybody ain't here?' "'Dunbar,' several people said. "'Dunbar, Dunbar.' "'Mr. Summers consulted his list. "'Clyde Dunbar,' he said. "'That's right. "'Broke his leg, hasn't he? "'Who's drawn for him?' "'Me, I guess,' a woman said, "'and Mr. Summers turned to look at her. "'Wife drives for her husband,' Mr. Summers said.' "'Don't you have a grown boy to do it for you, Janie?' "'Although Mr. Summers and everyone else in the village knew perfectly well, "'it was the business of the official of the lottery to ask such questions formally. "'Mr. Summers waited with an expression of polite interest while Mrs. Dunbar answered. "'Horse is not but sixteen yet,' Mrs. Dunbar said regretfully. "'Guess I gotta fill in for the old man this year.' "'Right,' Mr. Summers said. "'He made a note on the list that he was holding.' Then he asked, Watson boy drawn this here? A tall boy in the crowd raised his hand. Here, he said, I'm drawn for my mother and me. He blinked his eyes nervously and ducked his head as several voices in the crowd said things like, Good fellow, glad to see your mother got a man to do something like this for you. Well, Mr. Summers said, I guess that's everyone. Old man Warner make it? Here, a voice said. Mr. Summers nodded. A sudden hush fell on the crowd as Mr. Summers cleared his throat and looked at the list. Already, he said, now I'll read the names, heads of family first, and the men come up and take papers out of the box. Keep the paper folded in your hands without looking at it until everyone has had their turn. Everything clear? The people had done it so many times that they only half listened to the directions. Most of them were quiet, wetting their lips, not looking around. Then Mr. Summers raised one hand high and said, Adams! A man disengaged himself from the crowd and came forward. Hi, Steve, Mr. Summers said, and Mr. Adams said, Hi, Joe. They grinned at one another humorously and nervously. Then Mr. Adams reached into the black box and took out folded paper. He held it firmly by one corner and turned and went hastily back to his place in the crowd, where he stood a little apart from his family, not looking down at his hand. Alan, Mr. Summers said, Anderson, Bentham. Seems like there's no time at all between lotteries anymore, Mrs. Delacroix said to Mrs. Graves in the back. Seems like we just got through one last year only last week. Time sure goes fast, Mrs. Graves said. Clark? Delacroix, there goes my old man, Mrs. Delacroix said. She held her breath while her husband went forward. Dunbar, Mr. Summers said, and Mrs. Dunbar went steadily to the box while one of the women said, Go on, Janie. Another said, There she goes. We're next, Mrs. Graves said. She watched while Mr. Graves came around to the side of the box, greeted Mr. Summers gravely, and selected a slip of paper from the box. By now, all through the crowd, there were men holding small folded paper in their large hands, turning them over and over nervously. Mrs. Dunbar and her two sons stood together, Mrs. Dunbar holding the slip of paper. Harbert Hutchinson, 
Get up there, Bill, Mrs. Hutchinson said, and all the people near her laughed. Jones? They do say, Mr. Adams said to Mr. Old Man Warner, who stood next to him, that over there in the North Village, they're talking about giving up the lottery. Old Man Warner snorted. Pack of crazy fools, he said, listening to the young folk. Nothing good enough for them. Next thing you know, they'll be wanting to go back to living in caves. Nobody working anymore, living that way for a while. Used to be saying about the lottery in June, corn be heavy soon. First thing you know, we'll be eating stewed chickweed and acorns. There's always been a lottery, he added petulantly. Bad enough to see Joe Summers up there joking with everybody. Some places have already quit the lottery, Mrs. Adams said. Nothing but trouble in that, old man Warner said stoutly. Pack of young fools. Martin, and Bobby Martin watched his father go forward. Overdyke, Percy. I wish they'd hurry, Mrs. Dunbar said to her older son. I wish they'd hurry. They're almost through, Mama, her son said. You get ready to run tell Dad, Mrs. Dunbar said. Mr. Summers called his own name and then stepped forward precisely and selected the slip from the box. Then he called, Warner, 77 years I've been in the lottery, Mr. Old Man Warner said as he went through the crowd, 77th time. All right then, Mr. Summers said. Harry, you got their tickets back? Mr. Graves nodded and held up the slips of paper. Put them back in the box then, Mr. Summers directed. Take bills and put it in too. I think we ought to start over, Mrs. Hutchinson said, as quietly as she could. I tell you, it wasn't fair. You didn't give him time enough to choose. Everybody saw that. Mr. Graves had selected five slips and put them in the box, and he dropped all the papers but those onto the ground, where the breeze caught them and lifted them off. Listen, everybody, Mrs. Hutchinson said to people around her. Ready, Bill? Mr. Summers asked, and Bill Hutchinson, with one quick glance around at his wife and his children, nodded. Remember, Mr. Summers said, take the slips and keep them folded until each person has taken one. Harry, you help little Dave. Mr. Graves took the hand of the little boy, who came willingly up with him to the box. Take out the paper from the box, Davy, Mr. Summers said. Davy put his hand in the box and laughed. Just take one, Mr. Summers said. Harry, you hold it for him. Mr. Graves took the child's hand and removed the folded paper from the tight fist and held it while little Dave stood next to him, looking up at him wonderingly. "'Nancy's next,' Mr. Summers said. Nancy was twelve, and her school friends breathed heavily as she went forward, switching her skirt, and took a little slip daintily from the box. "'Bill, Jr.,' Mr. Summers said, and Billy in his red face and his over-large feet nearly knocked over the box when he got the paper out. "'Tessie,' Mr. Summers said.' She hesitated for a moment, looked around defiantly, then set her lips and went up to the box. She snatched out a paper and held it behind her. Bill, Mr. Summers said, and Bill Hutchinson reached into the box, felt around, bringing his hand up, at last with a slip of paper in it. The crowd was quiet. A girl whispered, I hope it's not Nancy, and the sound of the whisper reached the edges of the crowd. It's not the way it used to be, old man, Warner said clearly. People ain't the way they used to be. All right, Mr. Summers said. Open the papers. Harry, you open little Dave's. Mr. Graves opened the paper, and there was a general slide through the crowd as he held it up, and everyone could see that it was blank. Nancy and Bill Jr. opened theirs at the same time, and both beamed and laughed, turning around to the crowd, holding up slips of paper above their heads. Tessie, Mr. Summers said, there was a pause, and Mr. Summers looked at Bill Hutchinson, and Bill unfolded his paper and showed it. It was blank.
Watson! The tall boy came awkwardly through the crowd. Someone said, Don't be nervous, Jack. And Mr. Summer said, Take your time, son. Zanini! After that, there was a long pause, a breathless pause, until Mr. Summers, holding his slip of paper in the air, said, All right, fellows. For a minute, no one moved, and then all the slips of paper were opened. Suddenly, all the women began speaking at once, saying, Who is it? Who got it? Is it the Dunbars? Is it the Watsons? Then all the voices began to say, It's the Hutchinsons. It's Bill. Bill Hutchinson's got it. Go tell your father, Mrs. Dunbar told her older son. People began looking around at the Hutchinsons. Bill Hutchinson was standing quietly, staring at the paper in his hand. Suddenly, Tessie Hutchinson shouted at Mr. Summers, "'You didn't give him enough time to take a paper he wanted. I saw you. It wasn't fair.' "'Be a good sport, Tessie,' Mrs. Delacroix called, and Mrs. Graves said, "'All of us took the same chance.' "'Shut up, Tessie,' Bill Hutchinson said. "'Well, everyone,' Mr. Summer said, "'that was done pretty fast, "'and now we got to be hurrying a little more "'to get it done in time.' "'He consulted his next list. "'Bill,' he said, "'you draw for the Hutchinson family. "'You got any other households in the Hutchinsons?' "'There's Don and Eva,' Mrs. Hutchinson yelled. "'Make them take their chance.' "'Daughters draw with their husband's family, Tessie,' "'Mr. Summer said gently. "'You know it as well as anyone else.' It wasn't fair, Tessie said. I guess not, Joe, Bill Hutchinson said regretfully. My daughter draws with her husband's family. That's only fair. And I've got no other family except the kids. Then, as far as drawings go for families are concerned, it's you, Mr. Summer said in explanation. And as far as drawings for household is concerned, that's you too, right? Right, Bill Hutchinson said. How many kids, Bill? Mr. Summer said formally. Three, said Bill. There's Bill Jr. and Nancy and little Dave and Tessie and me. It's Tessie, Mr. Summers said. His voice was hushed. Show us her paper, Bill. Bill Hutchinson went over to his wife and forced the slip of paper out of her hand. It had a black spot on it. The black spot Mr. Summers had made the night before with the heavy pencil at the coal company office. Bill Hutchinson held it up and there was a stir in the crowd. All right, folks, Mr. Summer said, let's finish quickly. Although the villagers had forgotten the ritual and lost the original black box, they still remembered to use stones. The pile of stones the boys had made earlier were ready. There were stones on the ground with the blowing scraps of paper that had come out of the box. Mrs. Delacroix selected a stone so large she had to pick it up with both hands and she turned to Mrs. Dunbar. Come on, she said, hurry up. Mr. Dunbar had small stones in both hands, and Mrs. Dunbar said, gasping for breath, I can't run at all. You have to go ahead. I'll catch up with you. The children had stones already. Someone gave little Davy Hutchinson a few pebbles. Tess Hutchinson was in the center of a cleared space by now. She held her hands up desperately as the villagers moved in on her. It ain't fair, she said. A stone hit her on the side of the head. Old man Warner was saying, Come on now, come on, everyone. Steve Adams was in the front of the crowd of the villagers, Mrs. Graves beside him. It ain't fair, it ain't right, Mrs. Hutchinson screamed. And they were upon her. It's Tessie, Mr. Summers said. His voice was hushed. Show us her paper, Bill. Bill Hutchinson went over to his wife and forced the slip of paper out of her hand. It had a black spot on it. The black spot Mr. Summers made up the net before with a heavy pencil in the coal company office. Bill Hutchinson held it up and there was a stir in the crowd. All right, folks, Mr. Summers said, let's finish quickly. 
Although the villagers had forgotten the ritual and lost the original black box, they still remembered to use stones. The pile of stones the boys had made earlier were there. There were stones on the ground with blown scraps of paper that had come out of the box. Mrs. Delacroix selected stones so large that she had to pick it up with both hands, and she turned to Mrs. Dunbar and said, Come on, hurry up! Mrs. Dunbar had small stones in both hands, and she said, gasping for breath, I can't run at all. You have to go ahead. I'll catch up to you. The children had stones already. Someone gave little Davy Hutchinson a few pebbles. Tessie Hutchinson was in the center of a cleared space by now, and she held hands up desperately as the villagers moved in on her. It ain't fair, she said. A stone hit her on the side of the head. Old man Warner was saying, come on, come on, everyone. Steve Adams was in the center of the crowd of the villagers, and Mrs. Graves was beside him. It ain't fair, it ain't right, Mrs. Hutchinson screamed, and they were upon her.